Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 14. And in just a moment, we'll look at verse 6 through 11. Revelation chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 6. One of the things that has been kind of tough over the years as a pastor is to preach to people that need to be saved and to watch them fight that, to fight the conviction of the Holy Spirit and to really say no to the Lord. I have seen that for 43 years. I started preaching when I was in college and in 1977 was licensed to preach. And so 43 years, and over the years I have seen, especially some men, I don't know, it, guys sometimes just struggle with pride or, or whatever, but I've just seen people when I would extend an invitation at the end of my message, which I always do, I've seen people say no, knowing that the Holy Spirit was touching their hearts, and yet they would say no to the Holy Spirit. And after a while, I would see something happen in their lives. They would say no so many times. It seemed like the more they said no, the more services they sat through and said no, it seemed like their heart was getting a little bit harder every time until they got to the point where it didn't bother them anymore. Not knowing Jesus was not that big of a deal, and then they just quit coming to church. I want to tell you something, that, that will not only break a preacher's heart, that should break anybody's heart. Nobody should live to the point where they harden their heart toward God, but some people do. Today we're talking about a very sobering subject in Revelation chapter 14. I told my wife, I said, baby, I looked at chapter 14. I was going to try to do the whole chapter in one sermon, and it would have been a four-hour sermon. Amen? And it would have just been me and Jesus at the end of it, I'll tell you that. There's about four sermons in chapter 14. The second one is one of the most sobering I've ever preached in my life. I've preached this now twice, last night, once, and once this morning. And I'm just telling you, these Verses I'm about to read to you are some of the most solemn, sobering verses in the Bible. They go against so much of what our society believes today about eternity. Our society believes either everybody goes to heaven or when you die, there's no more existence. That's what our society believes. But I got news for you. When you die, look at me, you don't die. When you die, your spirit lives on, and your soul lives on, and in time, your body will be resurrected, reunited with your soul and spirit, either in hell or in heaven. Look at me. There is no purgatory. That is not in the Bible, and whoever teaches that is teaching a false doctrine. So, I'm just saying to you, you don't get another chance after you die. It's all based on what you do with Jesus Christ on this side of death, on this side of Jesus' rapture. So I want to talk to you today about the last gospel call, the last time God is going to give a gospel invitation. Look in Revelation 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. And another angel, a second one followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Then another angel, a third one followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, that's the antichrist or his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, 
he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's Jesus. And the smoke of their torment goes up before, forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. This is the word of the Lord. The last gospel call. The last time in Scripture that the gospel is shared. It is shared not by a human being, but by an angel. And as far as I can tell, I stand to be corrected, but as far as I can tell, this is the last time people in the book of Revelation, in the Great Tribulation, will hear a clear gospel message and be given the opportunity to receive Jesus as they repent of their sins. So let's see what happens. Number one, at the last gospel call, the gospel will be preached. God's gospel is to be proclaimed. Look at verses 6 and 7, and I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. I'll explain to you what that is in a moment. Having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Verse 6, I saw another angel flying in midheaven. We know that as Christians, God has commanded all of us to share the gospel. The last thing Jesus said before he went to heaven is, he, he said, I, I, I'm going back now and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So we know that we're supposed to be witnesses. We're to tell lost people about Jesus. But the last gospel call will not be given by a human being. It will be given by an angel. And as far as I can tell, this is the only time in the Bible that an angel shares the gospel. The only time we see it. And he's doing it. He's flying in mid-heaven. That is a reference to the highest part of the sky, the most visible part of the sky. And the reason that is the highest, everybody on earth needs to hear the gospel one last time. Everybody on earth needs to hear the preaching of the gospel. And that's why he's proclaiming it from mid-heaven. And what is he proclaiming? He is proclaiming, the Bible says, an eternal gospel. Why is that? There's only one gospel. There's only one. There's only one good news on how to be saved, and it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints got saved by grace through faith in Christ. You say, how? Christ wasn't here yet. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, and they put their faith in Him, not knowing His name. And then when Jesus was born, after that, people, and He was crucified, and He was raised, and He ascended to heaven. From then on, people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. While He was on this earth, they believed that He was the Christ. They repented of their sins. They believed in Jesus. They received Him as Lord and Savior. And then after He ascended back to heaven, we are still repenting of our sins, believing in Jesus, and receiving Him as our Savior. That is the eternal gospel. Only Jesus is able to save us. He is the only one who is God from eternity past. He is the only one who was born of a virgin free from a sinful nature. He is the only one who lived a sinless life. Jesus is the only one who was crucified as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the only one who was raised from the dead, listen, never to die again. Other people rose from the dead, but they never they also died again, but Jesus never died again. He's the only one who ascended back to heaven in the clouds. He's the only one who went into the real holy of holies in heaven with his own blood as the real high priest and put his blood on the mercy seat as a propitiation or atonement for our sins. He is the only one who then sat down because his job for redemption was over with, sat down at the right hand of God until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. He is the only one who is 
praying for you right now, and the reason your salvation is secure is because Jesus intercedes for you all the time. He is the only one pardoning the lost. He is the only one preparing heaven, and He is the only one who's getting ready to come back in the rapture of the church. He's the only Savior. He is the only one that can give you eternal life. Muhammad did none of that. Allah did none of that. Buddha did none of that. Jesus did all of that. The eternal gospel is about him. And verse 6 says, he will preach it, this angel is, to those who live on the earth. It's a reference to lost people. In this context, people who have followed Antichrist and received his mark. And if they stay that way, they'll be, they're his slaves, they'll end up going to hell. These earth dwellers are receiving one final opportunity to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, everyone on earth will hear the gospel. Do you know why? Because God wants everyone to be saved. Some people say, no, no, God only wants this group to be saved. Well, here, you got to deal with these scriptures and many others like them. I'll just give you two. First Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men. Everybody say all men. And you know that means mankind. All mankind to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to save, be saved, even though everybody won't be saved. But all people, God wants them to be saved. Same thing. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, and not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, when you talk like that, some people say, you're taking it out of context. I am not. I've checked the context, and what it means is all. All means all right there, and that's all all means. And by the way, Jesus is going to use this angel to preach to the whole world because God wants anybody and everybody to be saved. And this is going to fulfill a promise that Jesus gave in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, sometimes I've even got some friends that have said, oh, Brother Steve, don't don't go around telling people Jesus could come back at any minute because the Bible says the gospel has to be preached before Jesus comes back. I said, it does not. They said, it does too. I said, it does not. They said, it does too. And you can imagine how that goes on for a while. And so then I said, let's go read the verse. You're saying that the Bible says that Jesus said he has to that, that, he has to, that he has to preach, the, the gospel's got to preach to the whole world until he comes back. That's what you're saying, right? That's right. That's what the Bible says. All right. Listen to it again. Matthew 24, 14. The, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then what? The end will come. It doesn't say Jesus will come. It says the end will come. Now, I want to give you, I've, I've done this probably two dozen times, but I'm going to keep driving it in until you get it. The reason I believe in verses that say, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. The reason I believe what Jesus said, keep your eyes toward the skies. I can come at any moment. Paul said that. Peter said that. The writer of Hebrews said, he talked about the imminent, immediate return of Christ. The rapture, two taken, two in a field, one taken, one left, all of that, Luke 17. The reason I believe that, and the reason I, I, I believe, believe that that. The gospel does not have to be preached to the whole world before Christ comes back is because I believe that Jesus is coming once for his church in the rapture, and that could happen before this sermon is over with. I've heard, I've said that before. Somebody said, yeah, as long as you preach, it sure could. Amen. But anyway, but anyway, he could come back at any moment. And then the Bible says the great tribulation starts, but that's not the end. The end is at the end of the great tribulation when Jesus comes back with his church. The gospel is going to be preached throughout the whole world during the great tribulation. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Remember the 144,000 people that are going to get saved, those Jews that get saved, and they go preaching everywhere, and, and the Antichrist himself, the devil himself, can't kill them. They're going to live throughout the great tribulation. We saw last week them on Mount Sinai or, or, or Mount uh, Zion with the Lord. 
Well, they're going to be preaching. Those two witnesses in Jerusalem that are like Moses and Elijah are going to be preaching. And then a lot of Christians are going to get saved. Our people are going to get saved and become Christians during the great church. They're going to be preaching. And then at the end, God is going to clean the whole thing up and say, okay, now I've given the gospel all throughout the great tribulation, even though a lot of them have been martyred. I get that, God says. But one more time, I'm going to put an angel up in midheaven. I'm going to circle the earth, and I'm going to make sure that everybody hears in their language the last gospel call. And he will give that to them and give them one final opportunity to be saved. I want to ask you this. What if today were your final opportunity to hear the gospel? Did you hear what I just said? You don't know how long you're going to live. Oh, well, I'm only 46. So what? I've done funerals for people in their 30s, in their 20s. You listen to me. This may be the last time you get to hear the gospel. If you don't know the Lord, And I'm not trying to frighten you, but I want to say this to you. If you're about to die and I'm telling you that you need to give your heart to Jesus, if that makes you a little bit afraid, you know what? I'd rather you get afraid a little bit and get saved today than not to get afraid and walk out of here and die and go to hell. So I'm just telling you, this is serious business. This is not a game. And God says, I'm going to give them one more shot. And he's going to fulfill the great tribulation and make sure that everybody that stands before him got to hear the gospel. Verse 7 says, he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. That's what this angel is sharing. He's saying, you need to know the creator. Now, when I share the gospel, most of the time, I don't start with God as creator. I start with Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. Why? Because most of the people with whom I share the gospel have some biblical knowledge. But Jesus is saying here, this angel is going to be speaking to the people during the great tribulation, and they're going to be primarily biblically illiterate. You take the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul was out preaching to people, when he was preaching to Jewish people, he would start with the Messiah because they had a biblical background. But when he was preaching to the Gentiles, he would start with creation. Why? Because they didn't even know there's a God. Go look in chapter 17 of Acts when he's in Athens. He's preaching. He said, there's a God out there. You don't know about him, but I'm going to tell you. And he created the whole world. And then he would move to the Messiah. And then he would share the gospel about Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what this angel, when he starts out with the creation, we know that he's talking to biblically people who are illiterate of the Bible and of the gospel. The whole gospel is about Jesus, but sometimes you have to start back with creation to go down into the words about Christ. In our day, many people preach, but they fail to share the gospel. And I just want to say this to you. If you haven't shared the gospel, you really haven't preached, all right? If you haven't told people about Jesus, you've just had some kind of little Bible study or anything. I'm talking about preaching the gospel. Yes, I believe in the Bible, but I believe the whole book points to Jesus Christ. And if you don't wrap up every teaching about Jesus, then it's just some academic event. We don't need an academic event alone. I want to love God with my mind, and I want to study the Word, but I want people to know Jesus Christ. That is the goal, and that's why at the last gospel call, God's going to make sure that He has an angelic voice that will speak the true eternal gospel to everyone on this planet, and it'll be the last time they get the chance to be saved. Now, secondly, at the last gospel call, the gospel primarily will be rejected. Rejected. How sad verse 8 is. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Now what in the world is Babylon and what does it mean that it has fallen? Babylon here is a word that refers to the kingdom, the ungodly, 
anti-Jesus, one world kingdom of the Antichrist. Babylon, when you go back in the Old Testament, you say, okay, pull out of there the most ungodly nation you can pull out of the Old Testament that came against the people of God, it would be Babylon. It would be Nebuchadnezzar and all those guys. They're the ones that burned the temple of Jerusalem. And so, John, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, calls this whole, this whole group that is bought into Antichrist lies, he said, they are like Babylon and they're going to be fallen. Regrettably, most people are going to reject this angel's gospel call. You know why? They're, here's what they're, they're going to, they're going to be followers of Antichrist and they're going to say, why should we follow Jesus Christ? He is the one that has sent the four horsemen. He is the one who has sent all these plagues, all these pandemics. Jesus is the one that's the reason so many people are killed. We're not going to follow the Christ. We're going to follow Antichrist because he's promising that he's going to get us out of all this mess that Jesus has created. That's going to be their attitude. And it's going to be a fateful decision. They'll be so intoxicated with Antichrist, they're going to reject Christ. And when their hearts harden, God says, that is it. Write them off. They refused my last gospel call. They crossed the line of no return. They send away their day of grace. And here's the dismal message. Another angel, a second one, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Babylon the Great, again, John MacArthur says, it is the worldwide political, economic, religious empire of the Antichrist. Now, let me just give you a little Bible history. Where did Babylon in the Old Testament come from? If you trace it all the way back on the taproot, you come to a man named Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10. And he was one proud, arrogant dude. He was a big hunter and uh, I'm not knocking him for that, okay? I'm not saying if you're a hunter, you're proud and arrogant, but I'm telling you, this guy was. Genesis 10, verse 6 and following, just watch on the screen. The descendant of Ham were Cush, then you go to verse 8. Cush was also the ancestor of Nimrod, who was the first heroic warrior on earth. Since he was the greatest hunter in the world, his name became proverbial. That is, he was famous. People would say, this man is like Nimrod, the greatest hunter in the world. And now look at verse 10. He built his kingdom in the land of Babylonia. Verse 11. From there he expanded his kingdom, his territory, to Assyria, very wicked place, building the cities of Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, and Kalah. So, he's responsible for Babylon, he's responsible for Assyria, he's responsible for Nineveh, and they were all opponents of the people of God. They came from Noah's son, Ham, and the godly people came from his other son named Shem, and that's where you get the word Semitic, that's where the Jews came from, that's where Abraham came from. And so you've got these warring races going on. We think that racism and racial battles are a new thing. Look at me. That's been going on a long time, all right? People mad at each other. And so you've got Babylon and Nineveh. But let me tell you something else. His descendants, his great-grandchildren and on down, they came together in Genesis 11, and they built the Tower of Babel. How many of you ever, ever heard the Tower of Babel? Anybody heard that? Listen to it, Genesis 11. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language, used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia. There it is, and settled there. They began saying to one another, let's make bricks, let's harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, now listen how selfish they are, verse 4, come Let's build a great city for ourselves. No mention of God, no honoring God. Let's build this great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. They were all about 
them. Have you ever met somebody like that? All about them. Let's build a great big tower all the way to the sky. And then look at verse 5. But the Lord had to come down to look at it. I love that. We think we're such big shots. We build all these big things. We got all this stuff going. And God has to look down and say, I think they're doing something down there. What are they doing? let Let me look here. Let me look real quick. Let me look. Yeah, I think I see it right there. Right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's them. They're doing it again. Bunch of knuckleheads. Don't you know that's got to be sometimes what God thinks? <laughs> Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. They all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set up out to do will be impossible to them. So come, let's go down. He's talking to the Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Let's go down and con- Fuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. So in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because it was, is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In the, this way, He scattered them all over the world. So all this came from Nimrod, and all of it led to Babylon. And when we went over to war and we fought against Iraq, we were there where the Tower of Babel was built. We were there where Babylon will be, the end-time events and all that. And the Babylonians, again, in the Bible, they burned the temple that King Solomon's built in 587 B.C. They burned it. So it's fitting that God says, the Antichrist kingdom is going to be the new Babylon and fallen, fallen. That is for sure it will fall Babylon is going down. We read about the actual destruction of it later on in Revelation 18, verses 1 through 3. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory, and he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passions of her immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. This means that Babylon, Satan's earthly kingdom is doomed. It is going down, fallen, 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 fallen. The gospel will be rejected. Now, we live in a day when the gospel is being rejected. There have been some preachers out in the streets when they're having some of these protests and what, and they've been preaching the gospel, and they've got the tar beat out of them because a lot of people don't want to hear the gospel. I'm all for freedom of speech, all for freedom of being able to march and all. I am against violence. I am against people tearing things up. I'm not saying that all the statutes and all that, i tell you one thing though, if they are replaced, it needs to be done legally and it needs to be done peacefully even if they do need to be replaced. Some of them do, some of them don't, I guess. I don't know. I'm not calling all that. But what I'm saying is you don't do things like that to have a civil nation. And in this day in which we live, I want to tell you, more and more people object to the gospel of Jesus Christ perhaps than ever before in America's history. And a lot of it is because of what is being taught in our schools. Not just our colleges, but our high schools, junior highs, and now even in our elementary schools. Our children are hearing, hearing this. Children, the LGBTQ movement is normal. It's okay. Look at me. It's not normal, and it's not okay. Listen to this. They're hearing this. Gender is not decided at conception or in the womb. Gender is a choice. Look at me. Gender is not a choice. God made them 
male and female in his image. He made a male to be a male and to be attracted to a female. And he made a female to be a female attracted to a male. That's the way God created it. That is not the way our students are being taught. And then they say a woman has rights and has rights over the fetus, they won't call it a baby, in her womb. And if she wants to take that, ba- that fetus's life right up until birth, and some say even after birth, for whatever reason, if, if they want a boy and they know she's pregnant with a girl, have an abortion. If you don't want a child, just have an abortion. And they said that's not really killing anybody because it's not really a human being until the mother wants the baby. Well, I got news for you. That's a lie. The minute of conception is when that is a baby. Now, where does all that weird stuff come from? I'll tell you. There is no God. There is no creator. This whole creation just happened. Now think about the faith that it takes to believe that. Everything you see at one time didn't exist because everything came from nothing. There was no God. There's just somehow there's some explosion. We don't even know where all that came from. Let's don't bother with that. That was billions and trillions of years ago. I always say that. And somehow, inorganic matter was just, it just showed up. I started to say it was created. They don't believe that. Just showed up. And somehow, this rock or this inorganic material became organic. Do you, you hear what I just said? It would be like this podium over the next hundred years becoming a human being. You say, that's the crazy, you've lost your mind. No, I haven't lost my mind. I don't teach this stuff, all right? It's like inorganic stuff can become organic. It can become living. Stones can come alive over billions of years. And then in this little primitive form of organic material, it starts evolving, and after a while it's out in the water, and after a while it wants to go up to the beach. And so it just kind of steps out on the beach and it realizes it can't step because it doesn't have any legs. So billions of years later, it grows them some legs so it can, its, its descendants can go to the beach. And so they get out on the beach and say, this is, light, this is nice, but I'm dragging my, my tummy on the sand. I want to stand up. And so it can't stand up. So billions of years later, after it decides to stand up, one of its descendants stands up. And they start walking on the beach. And they say, I don't need that tail anymore. And billions of years later, the tail falls off. And then they stand up, and then they go get a Ph.D. and teach this stuff at our universities. We have lost our minds. We have lost our minds. I'll tell you how it was. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He created them in His image Male and female, He created them. We've lost our minds. And you tell me, I've got to have faith. I don't have enough faith to believe that gobbledygook, all right? I believe there's a God. I've seen 15 little babies plus my four babies born. And when I looked into their little face, that is not the result of billions of years of random mutation. That is the result of an almighty God creating in His image. That's what that is. Well, I used up all my time on that. This last part is tough, tough stuff. So put your whole armor on and let's deal with it, okay? If this doesn't break your heart a little bit or a lot, something's wrong. 
At the last gospel call, the gospel will be preached, it will be rejected, and then the lost will be tormented afterwards. We're going to talk about hell. And I'm telling you, hardly anybody preaches about hell. I'm not bragging, but one of the good things about going through a book in the Bible, when you get to something like this, nobody can say, well, he's just preaching because he wanted to. Look, I'm just going through the book. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. So here it comes. First of all, hell awaits all non-Christians. Boy, that's not politically correct or any correct, really, religiously correct. Even. Look at verses 9, but it's biblically correct, I'll tell you that. Look at verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Here's what he's saying. If you take the mark of the beast, if you turn away from Christ and you accept Antichrist, if you sign up and get on the devil's side, you're going to go to hell. That's what he says. There's only two options, heaven or hell. Purgatory, not in the Bible, anywhere. God's wrath is often pictured in Scripture as a cup of wine. And everybody in hell is drinking from that cup. Everyone who gets the mark of the beast will drink of the cup of the wrath of God. Jesus taught that there's only one way to God, and it was through Him. Jesus, by the way, gave an invitation, and in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. When you get to chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, at the end of the sermon, He starts His invitation. I'm so grateful to God He did that. And here's how He starts it. Enter, there's the invitation, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. That's hell. And there are many who enter by it or through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow. That's Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the gate. It's small and it's narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Sometimes people say, you're so narrow-minded. Let me tell you something. That's because I'm walking on a narrow road with my Savior. Because if I walk on the broad road, I'm going to go to destruction. If I do what most people are going to do, I'm going to re- reject Jesus. But if I, get on, if I enter at the gate, if I enter at Jesus and I walk with Him, I may not have as many friends, but I'll have some real brothers and sisters along the way that will really love me and tell me the truth. I'd rather have that than have all those drinking buddies and partying buddies and all the people. You just keep on living in sin like them, being immoral, whatever, you know, and that's what they want. But they all go to destruction, see. I don't want to be on the broad road. I want to walk that narrow road with my Savior. That's what I want. That's what I hope that you want. And Jesus said himself, I am the way, John 14, 6, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's only one way to God. Hell awaits all non-Christians. And then hell is rooted in, in God's wrath and anger. Yes, God is loving. Yes, God is merciful. But He is also a God of wrath and anger. He hates sin. Look at verse 10. He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of His anger. Let's talk just a minute about the wrath of God. God's wrath pervades the Old Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. I'll just give you one verse. God was speaking about His people Israel who had turned against Him. And He said in 2 Chronicles 36 verse 16, but they, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, continually mocked the messengers of God. That's what's going on nowadays. If you're a Bible preacher nowadays, people in the world will mock you. They despised His words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against the people until there was no remedy. God's wrath is when he gives you over to your choice of rejecting him and there's no remedy anymore. It pervades the Old Testament. God's wrath will punish Antichrist's kingdom. Just give you one verse again about Babylon suffering the wrath of God. That is the kingdom of Antichrist and all who are in it. If we go forward 
couple of chapters in Revelation 16, verse 19, the great city was split into three parts. The cities of the nation fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God. Now watch, to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Antichrist and his kingdom, they're going to drink from the wrath of Almighty God by going to hell. God will, God's wrath will punish Antichrist's kingdom. And then God's wrath will be prominent at the coming of Jesus when he comes back in his second coming. We're going to read in a few weeks. I tell you, I'm looking forward to Revelation 19. It's when Jesus comes back at his second coming. And we'll, we're going to be with him, by the way, on white horses. You say, I don't like white horses. You will that day, all right? You're going to get to ride a free ride with Jesus. Revelation 19:15. But listen to this. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Jesus is going to be walking out. He's going to be making those cups of wrath that the people that reject him are going to have to drink, and, and they're going to be drinking the literal wrath of God while they're suffering in hell. Hell is rooted in God's wrath and anger. And then hell is humiliating agony. I learned something this week. I hope that you'll stay teachable and stay in the Word. I've been studying the Word for 44 years, and I learned something this week. And I, I stand to be corrected any time the Lord wants to correct me. Verse 10, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the, so what, what? Say that loud. The Lamb. I have said for years, hell is the absence of God's presence. Hell is the absence of God's presence. But this verse proves me wrong on that. So, I repent. I turn to what the Lord says. The torments of hell will actually be in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You say, how's that going to work? Is hell going to be in heaven? No, but hell will be viewed by heaven, and heaven, or he hell will be able to look up into heaven and see it. You say, I don't believe that. It says so in Luke chapter 16. Have you ever read about the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man that went to eternity? How many of you have read, that, read about that? Okay, listen. The rich man lifted up his eyes in hell. And he could look across the divide. He couldn't go there, but he could look across the divide. And he could see Father Abraham. And he could see Lazarus over in he heaven while he's burning in hell. And he even asks, he talks to Father Abraham. They talk, they communicate. He said, would you send Lazarus over with a, a, a little, just a, a touch of water on my tongue? I'm in agony in these flames. He said, no way, he can't come over. You can see us. Now, can you imagine? Now, li listen to what it says again. It says that they're going to be in the presence, they're going to be suffering in the presence, in fire and brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. Can you imagine suffering in hell and looking up and Jesus looking, I believe, with compassion and with a tear in his eye, he wanted to save you, but you said no. And he gave you up to your own will. And the angels are looking at you. They probably protected you a lot of times when you didn't deserve protection. And they wanted you to go to heaven, but you chose not to go to heaven. Do you realize this is some of the most sobering things in the Bible. Just imagine suffering in hell and looking at Jesus who could have saved you from it and wanted to save you from it. It's going to be humiliating agony and it's going to be severe punishment. It's going to be severe in that it's going to be divine punishment. Look at verse 10. He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of what? Say it out loud. God. The wrath of God, which is mixed in the full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be, he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. There's no way around it. Hell comes from God. Hell was created, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, for the devil and his angels. But people who are lost go to hell as well. It is severe divine punishment. It is also severe agonizing punishment. 
Verse 11 says, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. That word torment is the same word. You remember back in Revelation 9, when those demons are going to come up out of the abyss, and for five months, they're going to be like scorpions, and they're going to sting people with their stingers, and they're going to torment them, not kill them, but torment them. That's the same word, bansanzimos, which is mentioned here in verse 11, that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And then it says, they have no rest day and night, no sleeping in hell. Everybody in hell is wide awake. You are fully conscious while you're going through this agonizing punishment. And then it will be perpetual punishment. Some people say, oh no, when people die and they don't go to heaven, their souls are eliminated and they cessation. They cease to exist. That's not what the Bible teaches. Oh, well, they just go to hell for a little while, purgatory, and then they come out. It's not what the Bible teaches. When you die without Jesus, you go to hell, and you're there forever. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Added emphasis. They have no rest day and night. Last thing I'm going to say to you is it's justifiable punishment, verse 11. Those who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of the beast, they rejected the gospel from that angel in the air. On their own, they gave their lives to the Antichrist. You say, well, Brother Steve, what about these people that have never heard about God? Romans 1.20. Look at me. Everybody in the world knows there's a God. Revelation 1, or Romans 1.20 says so. Now look at it on the screen. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. That is, they see a creation, they know there has to be creator. I talked with Dr. Rogers about this one time, and I believe exactly what he said. He said, Steve, he said, I believe that if somebody looks up in the heavens and they believe there's a creator and they want to know about the Savior, and they want to be saved, they want to know God, I believe if God has to drop a missionary out of a plane with a parachute and a Bible, God will get them the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he has to do it through a dream or a vision or whatever he has to do, he will get the gospel to them. But the first thing is, if they acknowledge that there's a creator, then God will tell them about the Savior. And everybody knows there is a God because they can look up in the sky and see that there is a creator. So yes, it will be justifiable punishment. I'm going to tell you something. This is a strong text. It's a hard text to preach. I don't enjoy talking about hell. If you talk about hell and you laugh about it, you shouldn't be preaching about it. Amen? People are going to hell. Most people are going to hell. Broad is the way that leads. My wife and I, I've had several people say, what are, what are y'all doing to stay up during the, I started to say the Great Tribulation, <laughs> during the, the pandemic? What, what are you doing? One of the things we're doing is we're singing. We got out a 1957 hymnal. I grew up on it. And I'm playing the guitar at night and we're singing together. We came across a song that I remember when I was a boy singing it. It put the fear of God in me. It's called Why Not Tonight. Now listen. Oh, do not let the word depart. This is the last thing I got. Do not let the word depart. That's the word of the gospel. And close your eyes against the light. Poor sinner, harden not your heart. Be saved, oh, tonight. Tomorrow's sun may never come. In other words, this may be the final gospel call for you. Tomorrow's sun may never rise to bless your long deluded sight. This is the time. Oh, then be wise, be saved, oh, tonight. Our blessed Lord refuses none who would to Him their souls unite. Believe on Jesus, the work's already done. Be saved, oh, tonight. And then we'd sing it. I can remember standing by my mother singing this. Oh, why not tonight? Oh, why not tonight? 
Wouldst thou be saved? Then why not tonight? Why not this morning? Why not right now? Stop going your way. Trust Jesus. Why not right now? Give up that sinful relationship. Give up that sinful habit. Give up your stubborn will. Repent of your sin. Turn from it with the help of Jesus and turn to Him. Believe that He died for you. He's already paid your sin debt. Believe that He rose from the dead and He's alive and He's in this room right now. He is the one touching your heart, not me, Him. And He wants you to be saved. And this, we don't know, this may be. You say, I'm 36 years old. So what? I have done funerals for 20 years old. I've done funerals for children. You don't know how much longer you get. This could be the last time you get the opportunity to hear the gospel. I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit says constantly throughout Revelation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God would say. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Would you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you would? Pray and receive Him right now. Say something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I repent of my sin. I turn to You. I believe You died for me. I believe You rose from the dead. I receive you. Come into my life. Save me, Lord Jesus. I call upon your name. And I thank you that I'm saved. In Jesus' name.